welcome to the Bronovo Podcast, the podcast that models healthy communication for men, empowering them to start the journey of self-work. Now here's your host, Thomas Pierce. Welcome friends, my guest this week is Toby Frazier. Toby is a community engagement leader at the Lutheran Settlement House. That's a nonprofit in Philadelphia that offers services across the areas of food access, homeless services, domestic violence services, education, and programs and programming for seniors. Within that, Toby has an expertise in domestic violence response, prevention, and education, and he also is heavily involved in the Masculinity Action Project of Philadelphia, which is an offshoot of the Lutheran Settlement House that engages with men to help them understand and unpack their problematic behaviors, particularly around how we treat women, other people other than us, and as white men, how that influences how we move through the world. We get into some really interesting topics, specifically how to identify and define an abusive relationship, what is and what is not an abusive relationship, and some of the insights here might surprise you. This is another episode I would say that embodies the mission of the Bronovo podcast, which is to model healthy communication for men. So in this episode, both Toby and I are quite honest with our reflections, and I hope that this message gets out to men as an example of what honest reflection can look like. It's not always comfortable or fun, but it's valuable, and I hope you consider having similar conversations with your loved ones as well. Enjoy the show. Okay, we are recording. Toby, good morning. How is my beautiful hometown of Philadelphia this Sunday morning? Yeah, good morning. It is uh, pretty nice here today. A little cloudy, but I love summer, and I'm glad nice. that it is hot again. Okay. So, so we were connected uh, nice via a mutual friend who kind of heard about Brunov a podcast and what we're doing and, and the work you do. I thought it'd be a great alignment. So. What is the work you do, and what is your reason for getting into the type of nonprofit world that attempts to make a positive impact as opposed to just kind of pursuing a commercial career or a more traditional path, we could say? (laughs) I love a fun big question at the beginning. Um, I work at... There's a few levels to it. <laughs> uh, I work at an agency called Lutheran Settlement House. It's like a multi-service nonprofit. So we have like a homeless shelter and a food pantry. And then I work in the domestic violence team. And then within that work in the domestic violence world, I do a lot of training, education, how to support and empower survivors of abuse. And then another big part of it is working with men and people who identify with masculinity around recreating what that means in the world with this understanding that so much of the abuse and violence that we see comes from how we teach boys to be men and comes from living in a patriarchal or male supremacist culture. So that's where I work or some of what I do at work. And then the whys are ranging for sure, but I come to it from the social justice world. So I got radicalized in college around uh, the aftermath of September 11th and the anti-war movement, and then on from there into other other efforts, other movements and groups, and some years of my life moving around the country a lot, uh, but always having a push from sometimes helpful, sometimes 
painful but still helpful in the long run push from people around me to really look at how I was taught to be in the world and the ways that as a cis white man that can show up with a lot of entitlement and a lot of jumping to anger and just things that aren't helpful for groups that I was in and also, you know, at the end of the day, aren't really working for me as a, an individual or a person either. And so coming to it from those helpful pushes and then a really impactful moment of losing a friend who was raped and murdered while she was traveling um, and really taking a dive into what does it mean to not just respond to violence like that, but to prevent it from happening. And so getting into youth education work and then wow. some years have gone by. And, Amazing. And here we Thank are. you for sharing that. Okay, I, I guess there's a lot of things that are really interesting from that, but when it comes to the youth work you do, what are the populations that you're working with or trying to connect with, and how do you measure success, relative success or failure of those interventions? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it's changed over time somewhat. So when I first started... I was in Arizona, in Southern Arizona. And so we would have this model where we would go to a school. Um, It was out of the Rape Crisis Center in Tucson. So we would go to a school and do kind of like a whole grade level assembly kind of thing to talk about consent or uh, healthy relationships, something like that. And then invite people who are interested in doing more to sign up on a, just, you know, pass around a sign up sheet. And so it was specifically with students who were interested in doing more that we would then spend six weeks or two months together teaching them this curriculum about gender stereotyping, about consent, um, and would work with those students who were interested in it to then do peer-led education. So we would teach them the curriculum, how to facilitate, and then go with them to classes at their school, and they would lead the workshops. And so the demographic that stood out most importantly for that group was, these are students who want to do it. (laughs) And they're coming to us to say, yes, I would like (laughs) to do more of this. Thanks for coming here. Uh, Now here at Philadelphia, the work that we do with teens is working with schools and going like embedding in a school within a classroom. So one day a week um, in, you know, coach Smith's health class or, you know, Miss Simpson's English class, whichever, teacher is willing and able at the school, every Tuesday, we'll see every ninth grader. And so for a whole semester, we'll just be there every Tuesday. And so that demographic, right, it's, you know, whoever they are in the school in terms of the big types of identities. Um, But it's just teenagers by grade level that we work with now. And so is it is it still this, I guess, what are the principles you're laying out in these sessions? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the youth work, the principles are, uh, what are some of the main ones? They're, it's a lot about just relationship skills. So our facilitation or education style is a lot about experiential or direct education. So it's drawing on the lives and the realities of the people that we're with. So it gets a little bit different between groups, but it's talking to them about well, what do you want in a relationship? What means a healthy relationship to you? And then let's look at that. Be like, oh, how many relationships do you see like that? Or if there's parts of it, it's become a big thing in the past couple of years that having some toxicity in a relationship is important. And that if it's not toxic, it's not real love. And so that's really? the current. It changes all the time, like what the thing is that you're struggling with. But that, yo, it is wild 
Yeah, like in those words, exactly. Like, oh, that relationship has to be toxic. I mean, it's got to be a little toxicity. Like Things like satirical. that get just thrown out. Because it's though. so stupid. Yeah, I was blown away. Yeah, to be like, pardon? <laughs> what do you mean by that? And they're like, yeah, you know, if he doesn't like, grip you up, if he doesn't whatever. And it's all examples of boys being told that they have to have, put their hands on someone at least a little bit, you know, with quotes around it, at least a little bit. And um, young girls being taught that if he doesn't, he doesn't love wow. you. You know, and then all the other problems of the heterosexism inherent in that. But it's wild. And so not just being like, oh, well, great, let's talk about where do you see that, but right, pushing back on that stuff to look at, well, what is abuse? Abuse is this. How does that tie into what you're saying about you have to put your hands on someone if you love them, right? And then where does that come from? Who does that serve, right? So we get into, we work with them for at least a semester, if not the full year, so we can get into some deeper truths around all these stereotypes wow, that, that they're carrying. It's so interesting because hearing you describe, you know, your, I guess, trajectory starting with, you know, self-described radicalization. I was, and then the kind of like Mm -hmm. current framing of partisan education politics. I was like, okay, we might be veering towards some territory that's like super, like maybe abstract or not even abstract, but contentious. But that is something that I think no one would have any problem counter educating yeah so is this is this like a something that comes from kids who are experiencing violence at home and then they tell each other or is it from social media or where does this get perpetuated where did the idea of like quote toxicity in a relationship i mean i think it's everywhere right so yes it's people telling each other there's definitely that stereotype, right, that like came up a little mm-hmm. bit there in your question around, oh, if it is it kids who are seeing it at home and then telling other teens. And that, although it is true that people who experience violence do sometimes go on to perpetuate it, I've not had it in my experience be true that a, a teenager who's witnessing violence in an adult relationship then turn around and tell other people this is what love is. Most often they see it happen and know that something is right. not good about it. And so they're not then saying this is how it should be, even if later on they enact those same things from that, you know, deeper unconscious place of being like, well, this is what you do, or I don't have a different coping skill when I'm upset and I saw this type of violence happen. But yeah, social media, I think, you know, it's on TV shows, right, in big and small ways. I think every rom-com, right, is a, it's either stalking or it's a lesson in how not to get consent, right? With the, the no, no, yes trope yeah. all the time of, oh, the guy pursues girl, which is the only way they usually go. And then she says no, she says no, then she says yes. And so that's just in the world of, oh, this is what it is to be in a relationship. You just push for it until you get what you want. And then you roll in, especially looking at this world and how boys are taught to get what we want and that we deserve to get what we want and all of that it leads to violence you know super fast yeah that reminds me of so many stories i've heard from women from my friends it's about how that is and yeah it's 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 whittling someone down to where they're so distressed that agreeing to do something just to get you away from them Right. Is not okay. Yeah, yeah definitely yeah. not okay. 
yeah. <laughs> to, to put it lightly. Yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. Yeah. Not okay, right. We can agree yeah. there. And then you can look at the, the deeper truth under that of it's hard to talk about because I don't want to, there's not parody. It is not equal in any way. The pressure that people are under, especially if we're just talking men and women and just talking heterosexual relationships where there is a pressure that women are under, right? And a lot of fear of, like, actual violence and all of that. Whereas me as a man, I don't face those same kinds of fears. And there is a pressure that I also feel of, well, if I don't come back to my boys with the story of sleeping with you, or at least getting a date, whatever it is, then I'm going to face some consequences from them. And again, not equal, but there's still there's pressure there. And that's when we talk about how this system doesn't actually work for any of us. That's some of that truth. you know. For sure. Yeah. Cause it yeah. also working backwards. One, it's so interesting. Cause again, this is like, this sounds like high school because literally you're working with high schoolers, but right. yeah. these behaviors, I think repeat themselves in adulthood. Right. And then they, even yeah. into past, like, young adulthood, into marriages, and then families, and then yep. workplaces, and then the kids yeah. are learning it, and it's like... Yeah, and here we are, yeah, <laughs> yeah decades and centuries sure. later. Because, oh, like, yeah. kids acting out doesn't happen in a vacuum, it's part of a longer cycle of life, and where are they learning these things? Exactly. They didn't just yep. make it up. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, they definitely didn't make it up. It's, yeah. yeah, I think I couldn't do this work without that outlook that it's not just human nature or something like that, but this is learned behavior. If it can be learned, it can be unlearned, it can be taught in different ways. We can find other ways and teach ourselves and each other other ways to, to be together. Yeah. yeah. So when it comes to specifically, I guess, uh, sexual violence, that's something that... I just my own temperature check. I feel like the information about how common it is is becoming more common knowledge, but it's still not really discussed with any nuance or frequency. So, what are some of the kind of uh, facts around uh, sexual violence, and what? Why do you think it is? extremely prevalent or or why does it happen yeah yeah Ooh, fun <laughs> uh, yeah let's see some of the facts i think the main i'm not big on statistics i don't think numbers do a lot for us and there's many ways to look at them and one that still impacts me is that just thinking of the united states it's every 96-ish seconds, on average, someone is sexually assaulted here in the U.S. because it just happens so much and so often. Mm. So every minute and a half, someone's being sexually assaulted here in the U.S. Yeah, it's happening a lot. And I've never, I've asked a lot of groups. I've never had anyone say yes, but I've asked a lot of groups, you know, who here thinks rape is okay? Who here thinks sexual assault is okay? Right? No one ever says yes. No one raises their hand to be like, oh, yeah, it's fine. I'm chill with it. Yeah. And so squaring that circle or however that saying goes, right, making sense of it to be like, okay, it's happening literally all the time and no one thinks it should be happening. So what's going on here? And I think there's a lot, right? It's like really deep question that doesn't have a single answer. 
I think for me, it's come down to a lot around gender stereotyping and gender norms, right? The ways that we teach boys to be men and the world that we create based off of that. So some of the stuff that has come up already around the no, no, yes type trope in rom-coms and other movies and just teaching all the time that, um, oh, no actually means yes. And, you know, with that stereotype of boys and men, all we want is sex all the time. Girls and women don't want it and they're supposed to be the gatekeepers. And that isn't true. And then if you walk in with this explicit or even implicit view of a potential relationship, it just sets everyone up for failure. Where I'm not believing you when you say you don't want it. I just think that you don't think you can say you do want it. You know, it gets all twisted around. So I'm just going to keep pushing like I've been told to push until, you know, if you keep saying no, then, well, I'm going to take it, right? I'm entitled to what I want. How can you tell me no? Stuff like that. Yeah, that's a great teaching tool. And you know what's so interesting too is like, I think it's this whole, yeah, the whole idea, like, idea of women are supposed to shyly or, or you know bashfully say no, but they really want it. And right. Men are supposed to want it all the time. Yeah. Like I've never been told that mm-hmm. explicitly, right? But we all. When you said that, it clicked in my brain. Yep. Yeah. Kind of similar to like the like whitewashing of beauty standards, for example. There are no billboards saying white is beautiful. Maybe there used to be. Right, right. But not in my lifetime. But still, when I like think about how beauty is portrayed for the most part in mass media, what do I see? It's white people. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of that gets to nonverbal communication too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, nonverbal communication. Um, and I think there's something around like just, yeah, those messages, the views that are out there. Some of it is verbal, but it's not directed. Like no one sat me down and was like, hey, Toby, act like this. And I think we could probably each <laughs> come up with dozens of, you know, however many examples of times that I was told to, to man up or to act like a man. That was very explicit, even if what that actually meant was unsaid, right? Oh, I'm a, you know, I'm a boy and I'm crying and I'm told to man up. I know that means don't cry, don't show my emotions, be tough, be strong, handle it, walk it off. But all that got said was man up, right? And same thing when you're like, oh, I have a crush on this person and a friend is like, yo, man up. You're going to say something or what, right? Now I know, okay, there's this pressure that if I don't, if I step outside of that man box and say, ooh, I'm feeling nervous, that's not allowed, right? And depending on your friend group, you could face like actual physical violence, if not shunning and all this other stuff, to not keep pushing for it. Yeah. For sure. So I think we're on the yeah. same wavelength when it comes to that. There are a lot of people, men in particular, who are super dismissive of this philosophy you could call it, or just way of being really. It's not right. even a philosophy. Well, I guess that's a philosophical question. Fun one. <laughs> you know, is a way of being a philosophy. Yeah. Nice <laughs> But yeah, but how, how do you engage with someone? I mean, do you even try to change people's minds who, who don't see the value in kind of questioning 
conditioned behavior? And if you do, how do you yeah. engage with them? Yeah, I mean, I think we have to, right? We're not going to get free with just a few of us thinking it's a cool idea. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going to pretend like it's easy or we do it all the time, right? We have a group called the Masculinity Action Project here. And the people who find their way to us are the ones who do want to talk about it and are interested. And that is a lot of what we end up doing. And yeah, to connect to other people, I think in part, right, let's keep it on this meta tip for a second, is to connect to the parts of myself that struggle (laughs) with challenging it, that don't want to. And recognizing that I have some of that still now, and I used to have a lot more. And if I can find that empathy and remember for myself what got me here, that's a big piece of it. And then the other big piece is just meeting people where they're at. And so we have a tool or a framework that we use or kind of like twisted from, it was in the social work field, the stages of change. Is that something that you're familiar with or have heard about? Stage of change. Very fair. Um, it's, it talks about, yeah, it's from I'm the interested. world of... <laughs> Again, social work and more like the addiction or recovery type space. We're thinking about someone who's an alcoholic or struggles with any kind of addiction. There's a time, maybe it's a lot of time, where they don't think they have a problem at all. And then they start to realize like, oh, maybe this isn't great. Maybe I want to do something, right? I'm moving along these steps. Maybe I'm going to actually try and make a change. Maybe I'm going to maintain that change now, this new way of being. And all throughout that, it's not actually that linear, right? You relapse and be like, "Ah, I thought it was a problem, but really I think it's fine. Let's go out. Pardon, whatever it might be. And so taking that same mindset of the path of there's no problem to maintaining a new way of being and just clocking other people and be like, where are you at along these steps? And I'm going to meet you there. Oh, you think that everything is fine. And I'm going to ask, like, does it really work for you right now? What parts of how you were taught to be a man means you're cutting off your own humanity? You're performing something that doesn't really fit. Let's look at that a little bit, or I'll just plant that seed. And, you know, it's going to take a few times, but at some point people are like, oh, this isn't great. What else is out there, right? And then we can talk about, well, here's some other ways of being. And so it's, um, it can be challenging. Challenging uh, in the beginning stages are very focused on the individual and the other person. And at some point we do have to turn that corner to the, not just the harm done to us, but the harm that we've done to other people. And that can be another one of those moments that people want to, you know, disappear and not actually look at that. Um, But it's things like that. It's that personal connection Mm. that can do it. Yeah. I think for me, it would be just really, um, What's the word? Inconsiderate or manipulative things I may have done when I was single and dating. Yeah. You know, just, I think that's one of my, like, thinking about it through that, like, turning the corner and, like, knowing, like, hurting people's feelings. Another one for me would just be, and the reason I'm I'm sharing these is because I think that people could identify with them. Um, Yeah would be just saying things that I thought were funny or maybe mm-hmm. thought was fine or just a joke and like really hurting someone's feelings. Yep. You know? And I think yeah. among men, those two I would imagine are quite, it could be my confirmation bias, but I would imagine those are pretty common. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. 
<laughs> I'm with you there yeah. <laughs> in the same like personal experience from other people. Like, oh yeah, yeah. You know the jokes that we can tell to yeah make someone else feel small to make myself feel okay. Once you start looking at that, can be really painful. And then yeah, right. We get to decide, and I don't know how it's gone for you, but having to decide like, is it more painful to look at that stuff and own it? and find the, uh, the way through those hard feelings? Or is it more painful to turn back into the man box and keep cutting off myself and my real humanity? And that's that decision point. And it's really hard to decide to look at and hold those hard feelings if you're doing it alone in isolation. It's much easier to be like, you know what? Fuck it. I'll keep pretending that I like sports so that my friends don't call me gay. And I'll keep you know, doing whatever it is, even if I don't want to, because that's easier. Yeah. Than having to own, like, oh, shit, I did pressure X number of girls to sleep with me when they maybe didn't want to. And who am I in the world if I'm the type of person that would sleep with someone who didn't want to? Mm-hmm. That's hard, especially alone. For sure. You know? So the, the opposite of alone would be with friends, with a support group? Yeah, in any kind of community, right? Okay. I think, you know, there's some gold standard out there in this type of work of doing it with other men and masculine people because we're the ones that are in it together. And a lot of times what happens is, especially those of us who are heterosexual, we'll put it on our female partners to be like, Ooh, I feel bad about this, right? Like nurture me. And take uh, care of me. <laughs> make me feel better. Exactly. <laughs> you know, still not alone. It can, you know, get what we can get. Um, and do learn better, do better. <laughs> so I know I did a lot of that with past partners and have had to go back and, and name and own. <laughs> like, hey, in my undoing this stuff, I did more of it. <laughs> in my undoing earlier, oh, patriarchy, really? I then leaned on you in a way that put you in a position of just caretaking me. And that's, I'm sorry about that, right? Make those authentic. How did that go? They, uh, it's been up and down <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's also like, I would imagine it comes to that decision point of like, is it worth even going back or just letting it be right. for the other person? Yep. You know? Yeah, like, yeah. What's I mean, the time horizon? <laughs> is it like a year? Is it two years? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there's not an answer, right? I think it's are you still in relationship yeah. with this person and then able to be like, yo, I've learned a little bit more now and I know when we were together, <laughs> this was probably a bummer for you. Do you want to tell me anything about how that was and I can apologize for it. Some people had someone not respond. Uh, others be like, no, things were okay. And some would be like, yeah, that did suck. I didn't want to do all that caretaking wow. work. Thanks for acknowledging it, at least now. You know. So, That's so, huge of you, man. Good for you. Yeah, Runs the gamut. But, yeah. 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 yeah I, I had, I had a, a similar situation where like, I think made a comment of something like, about like sex basically and being like oh yeah wish the sex could be this way or you know some yeah. stupid shit like yeah. that and then I went through a bout of sexual discomfort or like you know performance anxiety feeling yep. anxious in my own skin and stuff yeah. and I was like oh my god like hey I'm sorry nice. like that was such an asshole thing to say to you wow you know, it took took me having this experience to develop a little empathy, but I'm sorry, and I just want to tell you that. Yeah. yeah. Wow, how did that go? <laughs> That's amazing. Great. Yeah. 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 She, was, she was like, thank you. 
yeah. get it. So nice, yeah. I also want to yeah. honor. Like, I see you. It looks like you feel kind of embarrassed or a little like. Yeah, hey. yeah. I because it's real. you know my podcast, right? you know, but it's good because it kind of gets the whole point of why I do this. Yep. Yeah. You know, because we need. There's gonna be someone listening who this really resonates with and helps them in right, some way. Right. You know. And I don't want to just keep the spotlight on you, but do want to offer that if you didn't care, you wouldn't feel embarrassed. And so you can. I found it helpful to reframe. Oh, I feel guilty about that. I feel embarrassed about it because I care because I want to do better, and that can really fuel me to get through those feelings and be willing to go that direction instead of just turn away from it and be like, well, this embarrassment, this guilt, shame feels too bad, so I'm gonna just ignore it, stuff it down. But to actually be like, nope, it matters. It's important. <laughs> I'm yeah, here with you. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, it's like, it's like somebody like the radical honesty thing was like this accountability. Yeah. yeah. You know? So while we're on like the relationship yeah. bent, one thing that's really curious to me is jealousy. Ooh. Yeah. And, and for you, how much is too much jealousy and how do you kind of coach or help the guys who really deal with it? Yeah. Huh, that's interesting to think about too much versus like any amount of enough, yeah, yeah, enough yeah, yeah, or yeah. none or yeah, where are you in there? Uh, it's definitely nuanced, which is always fun, right? Um, I guess the thing that popped into my mind was thinking about a definition or like what is a an abusive relationship or what is domestic violence. Mm -hmm. And it's about power and control, right? An abusive relationship is where one person is able to control the other one. And so when it reaches the level of control, when I am stopping you from doing things that you would like to do in your life because of my own feelings, right? If I'm controlling your movement, your behavior, your clothing, your whatever, because of my feelings, if your life is getting smaller because of me, that feels like, maybe, you know, a step or two past a red flag even and into, oh, we might call that an abusive relationship if my jealousy means you have to do these things. The real trick, right, getting into even more of the nuance is, well, what if someone is okay with it or they say they're okay with it? And they're like, oh, well, I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable. So sure, I won't have this, you know, girls night out or whatever the example. That's where, yeah, again, getting back into community and being having people in life to talk about it with and be like, oh, I really don't like it when my partner, I'm struggling with a real example, so I'll just keep with the like, you know, goes out with her friends. They, every, they have a once a month on a Friday, they all go out for the whole night and they're just like out at clubs dancing and drinking and I don't know what's going on. Makes me feel weird and bad. So she said she would skip it next month, right? If I was a good friend of that person, I'd be like, why does that feel bad for you, right? Because at the root of why are you jealous usually is a lack of trust. And, you know, we can keep going from there around like, oh, well, yeah, I trust my girlfriend. I don't trust the other guys. And be like, cool, why don't you trust other guys? Oh, we're in this patriarchal world. Well, what parts of you saying she can't go out drinking and dancing with her friends reinforces that world of patriarchy where men are this controlling, unsafe group to be around? You know, the, the road would never end, but we could get there together <laughs> and walk along it for a while. For sure. Yeah, I think for me, feelings of jealousy come from inadequacy. Uh -huh. The feelings of yeah, inadequacy. Yeah, that's real. 
rather than a trust uh-huh. thing, you know? Yeah. Because when I think about my jealous mm-hmm. feelings, it's because, you know, in my subconscious brain, it's like, oh, like, he has something you don't. Right. Therefore, she will do X, Y, Z. Attracted to that, you know? yeah, yeah, and so uh, again, like I like this because it's a kind of a more concrete example of why self love mm-hmm. matters. Yep, yeah, because it's so true. You know, like all the all of the freaking stereotypes or uh, cliches. Like you can't love anyone else yep. until you love yeah, yourself. Yeah, yeah. But like <laughs> this is a, for me a very good example of like why. Yeah, yeah, why it really matters, right? <laughs> Well, it really matters. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know about... Oh, sorry. You yeah. should go ahead. Um, no, no. I don't know about you, but I do know for me that the way I was taught what it means to be a man didn't leave the door open for much self-love, right? It meant a lot of doing this performance or else, not be who I want to be and love that person. And I don't know about a lot of traditional masculinity being a good pathway to self-love. I hope you're enjoying this week's episode of the Bro Nouveau podcast as much as I enjoyed recording it and bringing it to you. Following this conversation with our guest, I'll be giving my reflections in the conversation, what we discussed, and what stood out to me most. Get involved in the conversation. Find me on Instagram at Pod, or send me an email, thomas at com. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Enjoy the rest of the show. Because I think it also like we have a very American perspective, and I think to our like, I think I'm, I'm a bit younger than you. Yeah. Uh, no shade. But I think like our parents' generation and our grandparents' generation were it's all post-war mindset. Yeah. You know, it's like post-depression mindset and all of that is related to industry and the United States is a rising power. Right. And the importance of earning money. Yep. You know, so I think that's a big – and that also ties in with probably the older evolutionary or so like sociological role of managed providers and protectors. Yep. Yeah. But yeah. No, I I think I was really – I was able to express myself and, and I think I was very blessed to have a, like a healthy way to explore masculinity. Nice. Although yeah. I, I would, I would admit that my, I don't want to call it an Achilles heel, but like I, I love uh, playing rugby. Uh-huh. Nice. And I think that gives me like a safe space to do this is because I'm also on a Saturday yeah. playing rugby, right. you know, and like right. all of the, like the archetypal masculine things. Yeah. No one can say so you're not a real man because you can hold up yeah. rugby and be like, look at this. Exactly. Yep. So I, I, do, I do have an awareness of that. And I'm like, what's going to happen to me when I can't play rugby anymore? Yeah. 
you know. Right. And I'm not actually worried about it because I'm comfortable with my own skin I, enough, I think. Yeah. But I am very aware of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, so many of us have something like that, right? Someone who's in the group, again, I'll, <laughs> no shade <laughs> to him, but was, a, was a ballet dancer, was professionally oh, cool. up to his mid-20s, which is when a lot of them end up dropping out, uh, and also rides a motorcycle, right? And it just feels like in a similar way. Right? Like, oh, bad boy. Yeah, exactly, right? Be like, oh, if I'm going to be a ballet dancer, I'll also ride a motorcycle. And there are plenty of other reasons that, you know, I guess I've never had one, but apparently motorcycles are very fun. <laughs> so I don't want to boil it down to here's the only, or that you don't just play rugby yeah. because you need to prove that you're a man. And it doesn't hurt, right? I exercise and lift weights and similar. I'm just like, oh, yeah, okay. There's part of me that still fits in. Yeah, and I think it's super. It, I, I, to me, I'm at a point now where it's like I don't need to look at it through the paradigm of masculinity necessarily. It's just something I enjoy. Exactly. Yeah. And like, also, yeah, like our bodies are made to move and have the capacity to hold muscle, yep. and our lungs have the capacity to expand right. and increase our VO2 max right. and do badass yeah. shit like. We have an amazing engineered machine at our disposal. Yeah. See what it can do. And not using yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. I, I think not using it is in the same family as, as not exploring mm. the, you know, psychosocial, sure. probably to use like a sham science <laughs> word. <laughs> but <laughs> it's a safe space. You can be yeah, sham science all day with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah, that's, that's a good one. Yeah, there's a lot, man. So, so tell, tell me more about your um, masculine modeling growing up. Yeah, um, I want to put a pin in from what we were just talking about. If it also gets into what are we fighting for in this world? Like, are we fighting to? I don't think I'm fighting to just throw masculinity in the garbage because there's been these harms caused by it. And so that's why for me, I'm like, whatever. I can fit in the box sometimes if I want to be in it, and I can do other stuff too. And, so anyway, we could get there at some point. But for me as a, as a young person, um, I also feel pretty lucky. I think I heard you say that you felt pretty lucky about some of the models you had. And, and similar, I grew up in a, um, not always in the healthiest way, but a really matriarchal house where my mom's mom and my mom were very much the people like in charge of what, <laughs> what we were doing. Um, when I would get in trouble, it was my mom who was much more violent and my dad who would cry and be disappointed. So, you know, there's lots of unhealthy, <laughs> bad things in there, sad things in there. And the modeling yeah, yeah. of, yeah. oh, men are allowed to cry was kind of there. Like I was allowed to cry, but I had to do it in private. So I got some, you know, some steps in a healthier direction um, and definitely had a lot of really strong women around me that I think lined up for me just opening my eyes to, questioning the things that I was seeing in those implicit messages all over of damsel in distress style, like, oh, women just need saving. And then I would look to my family and be like, that doesn't feel true. What else isn't true? Not always super conscious, but it was there. Um, I wasn't a big sports guy or person. My dad 
only watches sports, doesn't care what it is. And I always found that stuff just so god awfully boring to watch <laughs> watch a sport. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I did run track, and our coach was also really great. And yeah. Coach Deep, shout out to Coach Deep, Clinton, New York, um, on the track team was very much explicitly about we're a team. We don't just need the person to win. We're going to work together and have a lot of people who come in second and third. And that's great because you're still getting points on the board and everyone plays a part in making this team go, whether you're cheering someone on because they're faster than you or you're fast yourself, whatever it is. And so I feel like. Yeah, I got a lot of good messages while at the same time we were also in the locker room calling each other gay and other worse slurs and um, ridiculing bodies. I was really skinny as a kid and so getting bullied in that way. And to this day, I hate hockey because my town hockey was the big sport and all these hockey jocks would just like shove people into the lockers when they walked by. But for my positioning, it was like, oh, that's gross. I don't like how that's done to me and I don't want to do that to someone else. And so, you know, have some good seeds planted. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's, that's really, thanks for sharing that. It's really interesting. The kind of juxtaposition of like the, the father figure showing emotion, the mother being strong and that kind of being contradicted in the outside world. And what you said about like the being allowed to cry, but only privately reminded me of, we had this um, Mm -hmm. retreat we would do at our high school. And there was a, like a time when you'd get like letters from family and stuff and everyone reads it. Uh And when I went, everyone, we kind of like all got our letters in the same room and everyone got to read them and everyone was processing their emotions, however they came up. Yeah. And I had this friend. That sounds so sweet. Yeah. It was awesome. Um, yeah. I had this friend who went, and he was somebody who I feel like would need, had a lot of like archetypal in a bad way, masculine modeling at home. Yeah. And he, for some reason, when they went, had them do exactly what you said, go to their like rooms and read the letters. Yeah. And, I, and, and now, in some kind of weird like hindsight way, I feel like that was like a missed opportunity for him as a person. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Can I ask, was your, was he a white person? Oh yeah. 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 Cause I feel like that's where it came in my family is like gender was getting, you know, messed around with enough with, you know, my mom being this, the main strong figure in that particular way. And then it was whiteness that came in to be like, emotions are for private. We don't do that with other people. If you're in public, it's you're put together, you know, all right. of those kinds of messages right, of whiteness. Right, right, right. So it was this like blend for as a white boy. I wonder for this friend if it was the gender thing, or the whiteness thing, how they get parsed out and bleed together. At the yeah. Same time. <laughs> we would like just go to his house and like put on boxing gloves and just like yeah. punch each other. So oh more I think the gender. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I've heard of but, that. How was that? I oh I've heard of other people and for me I'm just like that sounds terrifying. Like to, sparring? Yeah. Um, or like being a kid and being like, well, I don't want to, but I have to. Ugh. Yeah. So really? I, I wasn't like, I wasn't like, um, I, I was down. Yeah. Like I, I would, you know, I wouldn't do it anymore because yeah. um, I know more about like brain trauma. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fair. 
but yeah. I, I I like wrestling and you know like me and my friends get drunk and like we are like wrestle and like right. you know like it's like stepbrother and stuff like, yeah you know, it's just I, I I like that stuff and I yeah. I think it too is to circle back around to what we said about like the role for masculinity right I think that's hugely valuable too yeah. And Definitely. also, I guess even more importantly, it's just giving people the space to be and express how they want to be. Yep. You know? Yeah. And if, if a guy's not super sexual and doesn't want to do MMA, like, cheers. Yep. Yeah. Great. <laughs> and that's the totally cheers fine. is what gets lost in our culture. <laughs> yeah. In the U.S. culture, I'll say. Where it's like, oh, you don't want to do that? It's because you're blank or get out there, pussy, or, you know, whatever dumb, horrible thing. So dumb. Yeah. Like, ah. yeah. I, I heard a, a great – this is a retell, but I haven't told this story in a long time yeah. on the pod. So I was in uh, – where were we? We were in Truckee, which okay. is up in uh, Lake Tahoe Town in Northern California. Okay. And I was ta- sitting in a cafe, and um, I heard this woman on the phone. She's like power bossing it, like yeah. on the phone, barking orders, yeah, yeah. You know, doing whatever. And I heard her say she's a, like a leader or captain of a fire, wildfire crew oh, up there. And she was talking about like how her guys, in her, mostly, I think it was mostly men on her team, and how they all saw a lot of horrible things over the last few years with the wildfires. Yeah. And their mental health was struggling. Right. And they were seeing suicides and stuff. So I went up to her, gave her my card, and was like, hey, I have a podcast. You know, Put some of your guys onto yeah. it. And then she is launched in this whole diatribe about how when guys say don't be a pussy, they should really say don't be a sack. Yeah. She's like, she's like, a pussy gets fucked hard and takes right. it, but a sack you just tap it once and you go on the ground, ground crying. Yeah. You know? I was like, wow, you just said that in a bubble <laughs> cool. Like, <laughs> you're cool. Wow, yeah, yeah, I've definitely heard that joke or that trope before. I'm just like, this is so. What a good example of how twisted patriarchy is, where it's like, actually, we're very sensitive. <laughs> we're just putting yeah. it out there that we're like, no, we don't feel anything. Yeah, no, balls are tough. Like, no, that's <laughs> <It's> true. <laughs> it's the exact opposite. Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. <laughs> yeah, so that's great. That's so awesome that you um, kind of do this all the time. And you're in, I mean, I can tell you're like very well. Yeah versed and I've, it's one of those things I feel like this whole concept you almost have to get into a conversation and try to understand it like trying to describe what you do in two sentences yeah it's so hard to sum up <laughs> not easy yeah 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 I tell myself sometimes you're like oh I'll get an elevator pitch one day I'm like yo it's gotta be an elevator and a skyscraper cause we gotta get into it I don't know yeah so how can someone get involved whether that be their own self-work or affecting policy yeah you know what are some resources you would direct yeah, i would say to? um i mean on a self-work it's that connection and community building so i think just like you and i have done here today and just doing that with more of your guy friends just take that take the step to be vulnerable and see how it pays off right and if it doesn't pay off Maybe that's not the community to be in all the time, but finding those guys that you can be real and honest with and be like, oh, this is hard for me, can just go, you know, leaps and bounds towards healing, as can therapy. 
you know, shouts to therapy day in, day out, really getting uh, with someone who's, who's trained in helping people discover and uncover what's inside, I think are just the two most important things for that self-work. Um, there are groups like the Masculinity Action Project all across the country and world. There's definitely groups all over the place of men and masculine people getting together and learning together, doing that political education and all that good stuff. So just doing some Googling in your town, uh, wherever you're based. There's also, if you're U.S.-based and you're white, there's a group called Organizing White Men for Collective Liberation that has monthly events and calls that get into the like hundreds of guys coming together to have these vulnerable conversations together. And like thanks to technology and Zoom, being able to like go into a breakout group with a smaller group and one you know facilitator to help lead it and coming back together to hear talks and others speak. So Organizing White Men for Collective Liberation is a good spot. And then in terms of policy chains and shifts, it's honestly really tough. You know, there's not a mainstream feminist movement that has a direction these days, right? In the 80s and 90s, early 90s, there was the fight for the Equal Rights Amendment that gave this movement a lot of direction. Nowadays, right, like we talked about, these messages are explicit and implicitly everywhere around us. So anywhere you look, there could be a thing to do that would help shift the culture that leads to all of this violence. But a lot of what we suggest folks do is get involved with um, any group. In my view of gender justice, what it is to be involved in gender justice organizing is to be um, a man in a group that's even led by women, even if it's fighting for housing rights, right? You can make the connection back, but just the practice of being a man, taking the leadership, you know, listening to the leadership of women can be a part of that while fighting for social good. Um, I think abortion rights are a thing that is super important and imperative for us as people who can't get pregnant to be really strong voices for and to look to all the ways that there are so many policy, legal, and electoral fights happening for that. Um, so it's pretty broad-ranging when it gets to the policy side. Uh, just getting involved is the, the key. Beautiful. That step. sounds awesome. I, I want to come back to the race. Yeah. The whiteness, more specifically. Yeah. The whiteness. But yeah, you've used a few, you've used a few terms that are very considerate. Terms that so very uh, masculine mm. identifying, uh, and then people like us who mm-hmm. cannot get pregnant. And yeah. there's a huge pushback in yeah. like the culture wars about these yeah. terms. It's so I was thinking of PSA. Yep. If those types of terms bother you, yeah. grow up. Ayo. <laughs> like. How much skin uh, is it off of your ass to like use your brain for a second and be a little empathetic and considerate to other people? Yep. You know, like if you don't want to do it, like it's it's. Of course, no one can make anyone. We all have our rights to say and believe what we want to believe. But if if you are so selfish and egotistical that you don't want to make a small tweak to make someone else feel more comfortable, then you're just an asshole. Yep. Yeah. Just an asshole. And I think you need to do, right? Like, I think actually another piece in there is that, like, there's a part of you that feels hurt because you wanted that concession made in some way for you in your life and you didn't get it. And so you're like, well, fuck you. You don't get it either. And it's not really about saying pregnant people or people who can get pregnant or can't get pregnant. It's about some deeper shit. And so, one, yeah, grow up, but also go to therapy. 
and find out why this thing bothers you because that is not the thing that's the issue and you know it's not the problem yes yes wow excellent that's a great (laughs) excellent clip okay okay so the the whiteness thing that's another one that white people get triggered by and I in some ways I can understand it it's uncomfortable to look at the world that one was born into and have to acknowledge that there are a lot of uh, privileges and disadvantages that other people face that I don't face Um, but yeah so how do you go about approaching someone who like a white person or man or woman or whatever gender who kind of doesn't believe in say let's say the privilege of white people or uh, systemic prejudice or unconscious bias or systemic racism in the United States? Like, how, how do you engage yeah. with them? I mean, it's a sadly boring answer of like, same, same as a guy who doesn't want to talk about masculinity or says that they don't or struggles with it, right? It's meeting them where they're at and f- being, I think there's the, the phrase curiosity, not correction. And so finding out from them mm. what is going on here, right? So much of the time, <clears throat> pardon me, so much of the time in my experience, people who don't want to look at white privilege, it's because they really want to look at the struggles that they've had and have those struggles be honored. And if I can give them just a little bit of time to say, can you tell me more about that? That does sound really hard. And validate that and then say, was that because you are white or something else? It can really open up a lot of doors inside of them to be like, oh, maybe it's not because I was white, but I have had troubles. Right. And if you can get someone else to offer that curiosity back, now we're cooking. Right. Now we're really getting into it. And if not, then it was just one of those times where a seed got planted and today wasn't the day. I can't think of a, a deeply held belief of my own that changed from one conversation. And so being able to stay in it with people and to have other white folks in my own life where I can express the like frustration and anger with you know, this person over here who didn't want to listen to me instead of getting angry at them and pushing them away. If I can keep them close and get a place to vent over on the other side, that's, that's great if I can. Yeah. Awesome, man. I think that's such a good, that's a fantastic answer because I think the anti-racist theory, they're, they're kind of hard line in, in the yeah. presentation. Which I can understand in some ways because it having shock value makes sparks conversation and gets people talking. Um, but kind of similar to obviously related, like looking yeah. at like President Trump's election and like the yeah. white nationalist ethos and like theme of his presidency is because poor white people weren't getting their due or the recognition of hey, like yeah. our lives are fucking hard too. Yep. And he tapped yeah. into that. So, yeah, having that empathy and being like, yes, I understand, like, your human experience. And exactly like you said, that's that's amazing, man. Thank you. I think that's a really, like, excellent template. And it's also repeatable. Right. Yeah, thanks for saying that. Yeah. And I think yeah. the other part for us as white people is sometimes I view it just like, oh, this is my role or part of my job is to take those angry words from other folks and not say, don't be angry do this to be like, no, be like, be authentic, be yourself, say how you want to say. And it's my role to help translate that to the people who are turned off by it. Right. It's not your fault for being mad. 
shit is angering <laughs> for her black people and people of color. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. I don't want you to <laughs> cut off even more of you, your humanity than you have to in this culture. So be authentic there and let me do the work to get that into the, the minds and the curiosity of people who are turned off by it right now. You know, It's tough, but it's real. Yeah, we're in it, right? It's amazing. Yeah, yeah it's super real. Yeah, it's valuable. It's super valuable. Well, thank you, Toby. I usually end with a conversation game. Uh, I can't find it right now, so I'll just I'll just spitball a question, and maybe you can okay. ask me one back. We'll do it. We'll do it live. Okay. If you could have any savant level skill, what would it be? If I could have a savant level skill, I would want to be. I'm gonna say a dog whisperer right now. Yeah, oh, I don't know sorry. why, but that just sounds that just sounds really fun. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. So you mean like someone who can take a, a wild dog, or like a unruly dog? And yeah, I think less craft that them. dog into the picture perfect one of the person that you know takes care of them, and more just able to understand and be like, oh, this is what's happening for that dog. It's not getting this need mad, or it's getting too much of this, or not whatever, and just like, just to be able to look and be able to understand, and then communicate it back. Sounds awesome. If it's not in the world of superpowers, where like, somehow I can talk and they can talk to me, then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That'd be Ooh, okay, say. okay. Um, <laughs> if you could change one thing about your current set up to just like get even more rest and care into your life what are you going to shift oh dude yeah my setup in san francisco is so dank um because i could get up early go swim or work out in the bay and then start work and then go to bed early or in the nights I didn't have rugby and like rugby nights right. came a bit later but you know nice. it was great so right right now I'm, I'm overseas as I told you and so just so yeah like I'm working till like 2 3 a.m. and it's uh it's kind of brutal because I'm a morning person oh no okay yeah so that's what I'm kind of figuring out how to approach because yeah. it's enabling me to be here and have a great experience right which is hugely valuable, but it's also like, I don't want to compromise my, my health. Yeah. That can be a big detriment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. So, yeah, that would be it, man. Just back to the, yeah. asleep at 10 up at six. That's yeah. And it's that schedule that leads to the like other healthy <laughs> aspects. Like when your schedule is messed up, then having the like exercise and, you know, body movement doesn't happen as much. Is that right? Uh, it still happens, but I, I, it's, I think I prefer to get up and start the day yeah. with it because then it's like 8 a.m. and I'm all stoked. Yeah. You know, I got 600, 600 calories burned. Right, right. You know, I just saw a seal <laughs> in the fucking water. Wow. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I'm all Had to swim away from a shark. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't eat me. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I would say that. I think that, that's good to know, though, right? Because it's good to know yep. for the rest of my life that's like a schedule that works. Yeah, for me. I mean, that's such a good yeah bit of clarity you're able to give yourself. Like, yeah. 
thanks, man. Okay, Toby, where can the good people find your work, or where would you send them? You know, what's your what's your call to action? Yeah, call to action <laughs> is uh, if you're in Philly, definitely come check us out at the Masculinity Action Project. So we are newly on the Instagrams, like all the cool kids. So it's at map underscore Philly. Uh, and if you're not, then just do some googling. Put like healthy masculinity is sometimes what people call it plus your city or men's work in your city or anti-violence or violence prevention plus your city name find that and then connect with the men in your life what's the thing that you want to connect with but you're nervous you'll get called some kind of slur gay or whatever if you do it and just take that risk that's my call to action yeah awesome thank you toby have an awesome day thanks Thanks for having me Thomas. All right, everybody, another one in the books. Thanks for joining me for this week's episode of the podcast. What a guest, what a conversation. I think Toby had some great insights. I especially liked the idea that, you know, if someone's resistant to ideas of kind of lifting other people up or, say, believing black people that they, about the challenges they face or that they're, essentially their being is not respected or acknowledged. For people who don't want to acknowledge that, I think the question of like where do they feel let down or where do they feel not seen and heard is a great place to start. And I especially liked what Toby said about, you know, for someone like me who cares about this concept and these ideas and translating it to real world change, you know, being that conduit or translator uh, to other white people at all, all of that makes a lot of sense and clicks to me. So I really appreciate that from him. And that's all for me. Please uh, get the episode on to a man in your life who you think will learn from it, appreciate it, resonate with it. And a quick housekeeping item. I'm going to shift to Friday releases because with my schedule as it stands, I've been kind of up against it to release on Thursday. So I'll just switch to a Friday. Uh, most of you probably won't notice. and it's all good so thanks for coming along for the ride please uh, share the podcast out with those in your networks on your social media and see you next Friday for the next episode of the Grow New Grow Podcast thanks